0: So there's, there's no doubt that Holy Week, this Holy Week, is truly the most, we could say, spiritually intense week for us of the whole year. And if you think about it, it's really kind of wonderful how our beloved Mother of the Church, after taking us all the way through Great Lent, 48 days of preparation for this week, this peak Of our year, this Holy Week of Bascha, what do we find on both ends of this week? Holy Week starts and ends with two (coughs) incredibly glorious and joyous feasts of victory. Today, at the beginning of Holy Week, right, we celebrated this morning the feast of our Lord's glorious entry into Jerusalem, entering as a victorious king, right? And of course we know on the other end, next Sunday, the glorious resurrection, the great destination of our nearly two-month journey, our Lord's victory over Satan and death and our victory with him. You know, earlier this morning, this church, all of our churches all over the world, were covered with palm leaves, and branches. And tonight, as we get going on this holy journey with our Lord from Jerusalem to Golgotha, where are those palm branches now? They're now maybe in our homes. They're in our cars. Those few of us who still use the paper books and not the apps might be using them as bookmarks, right? And the theme tonight, As we begin Holy Week, the theme of the eve of Monday, all of the readings, the prophecies, the Gospels, is preparation. Preparation for this journey of Holy Week and the preparation for the victory that's coming at the end of that journey. So as we prepare for this journey that we're going to have this week, I'd like to spend a little bit of time tonight reflecting on those palm branches that we took down earlier, and how those palm branches are connected to our week-long journey that's ahead of us, and how those same palm branches are even connected to the Feast of Victory on the other side of this Holy Week. You know, as I was preparing this, I was looking into the meaning and the significance of the palm tree and the palm branches, that kind of, you know, they're how we kick off Holy Week every year. Why was it? Why was it that the people back then as our Lord was entering Jerusalem? Why was it that they waved palm branches? Was it just that there happened to be a lot of palm trees around there in Jerusalem and they just grabbed whatever they could, you know, whatever was available? Or was there something more, something significant that led to this palm branch becoming almost the banner and the symbol of our Lord's victory for his people throughout all of these years? So as I was kind of looking into this, I came across this this story that I want to share, share with you this evening. It's a story from back in the 1960s, actually, when the US Navy, the United States Navy, built the most advanced nuclear submarine of its time. And by far, by far, this was the most advanced submarine in the entire world. It was the strongest one with heavy, very thick walls of heavy steel. And on top of those walls, it had layer after layer after layer of armor, because the goal of this submarine was was to be able to dive deeper than any submarine could before it, right? It was built pretty much to be indestructible. So after they finished building this submarine, they took it out on a test mission. And unfortunately, during that test mission, something went wrong. The engine failed, and the submarine couldn't come back up to the surface of the ocean. And it sank deeper and deeper and deeper all the way to the ocean floor, 8,400 feet down, more than a mile and a half straight down. And as you know, as you go deeper and deeper in the ocean, the pressure gets higher and higher and higher, so much that the steel walls and the armor of this submarine actually ended up buckling under the intense pressure of the water. And unfortunately, its crew of about 130 sailors died. So as you can imagine, this was a big tragedy for the United States. It was a really big deal. And it led to a really intense investigation by the United States. Why did this happen? So they built these special cameras that could go way, way down and inspect it, check it out, and see what happened. So they made these cameras sent them all the way down and what they found when they finally reached this incredible submarine completely blew them away. They said in the report that this powerful, indestructible submarine looked like a crushed eggshell sitting there at the lowest depths of the ocean. Have you ever seen an eggshell crushed? It's completely fractured to bits, right? But way down there, when the cameras spotted this really incredible scene, the cameras also saw something else that really surprised the engineers and the investigators that were checking this out, right? They found fish down there. They couldn't believe it. How could fish go down that deep and survive that much intense pressure and still live and thrive. And this half-billion-dollar Navy submarine, with all of the steel, all of the armor, all of the technology, it couldn't survive it. How could the fish survive? Fish who have skin as thin as hair, right? And there happened to be a marine biologist there with the crew that was investigating this accident. And he explained to them how this was possible. He tells them, where? well, you know the reason why these fish can survive way down there is because these fish, actually they have a secret. He says, you see these fish, they're able to build the same pressure on the inside of their bodies as there is on the outside. So when the outside pressure of the, of the water starts getting higher and higher as they go deeper and deeper in the water, their bodies increase the internal pressure, the inside pressure, so it can withstand that great pressure that's on the outside and they can survive. The fish actually had an inner strength that the ship did not have because the ship ultimately was hollow on the inside. You know, the fish, they look like these weak, flimsy creatures, but the truth is that they were even stronger than that massive nuclear submarine. This morning, our Lord Jesus Christ was kind of like the fish in this story. He rides into the holy city, looking to the average person, looking very weak. He's not on a strong war horse like the ones that the Roman soldiers and the officials are riding on. He's on a little donkey, right? And he doesn't have an army around him with swords. In fact, a little bit later on, he's going to tell Peter to put away his sword. So he doesn't have soldiers. He's got instead of soldiers, he's got little children waving palm branches. Meanwhile, the exact same time, right there in the same scene, not too far away, who's looking on very sternly at what looks like this little fish, the scene coming in? The big nuclear sub is also there at the same scene. The powerful Roman soldiers are standing there with their spears looking on to make sure the crowd doesn't get out of control. The scribes and the Pharisees and all of their their gear and their pride and their regalia scheming how they could get rid of him. All of the power of Rome and the big leaders of the Jews were there. The greatest powers of both the Jews and the Gentiles are both there waiting to crush him. Right? So one might wonder, how did he survive? Just like those fish, the secret was what was inside of him, right? On the outside, looked like a simple man, but Christ had something inside of him. He was the son of God. That was who he was. That was his identity. But also, he had worked for years to prepare himself for that very moment. He prayed, he fasted, he did all the things to teach us what we must also do. So despite all of the, those very big powers that surrounded him, that looked, really looked, like they could crush him like an eggshell, right? I mean, all of them, all of those powers on Friday night, when he's in the tomb, they think, ah, it's all over. They say, we've, it, we, it's over. We've got, we've got him. We've crushed him. But the Christians can say, well, we've got a secret. Even though we may look weak, there's something inside of us that makes us victorious, that makes us able to stand up against all of that intense pressure. Earlier today, Christ enters into Jerusalem as a victorious king to those glorious shouts of Hosanna in the highest. And as he enters, what's the symbol? What's the symbol? of his victory, the symbol that the people hold up high to usher him in, it's the palm. It's what you took home with you from church today, right? And I don't know if you've ever realized it, but there are actually a bunch of different trees that we come across during Holy Week, many different trees, right? Of course, there's the palm tree that starts off Holy Week, right? And there's also, there's the fig tree, right? There are actually two fig trees. There's the fruitless fig tree that we're going to hear about tomorrow morning, right? Which, which our Lord withered, and there's another fig tree that we heard about this morning when our Lord was entering Jerusalem, and that fig tree, the one we heard about this morning, wasn't fruitless. It did bear fruit. It bore the fruit of a repentant heart, right? the repentant heart of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who the Lord plucked out of that fig tree and entered into his house right? And there's also another fig tree that we hear about during Holy, tree, uh, during Holy Week, whose leaves, the fig tree that, uh, that, the leaves of which Adam used to try to cover up his sin, right? Versus the other tree that Adam and Eve were condemned, or sorry, commanded not to eat from, the tree of life. And what is that tree of life? It's the life-giving cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Right? Which we will all of us will be given to eat from later on this week. So there are lots of trees that we come across during Holy Week, but let's go back to the palm tree for a second. As we said <coughs> and as we saw this morning, the palm tree, it's a symbol of victory. But again, that palm, it's just some flimsy leaves. It kind of looks as weak as that fish, doesn't it? Doesn't look very strong. But how did the church fathers understand this image of the palm tree? That the palm tree, the palm branch, was a symbol of the Christian life, the strong and victorious life in God. Why? How did the church fathers understand this? Well, unless you really know your Bible, you might be surprised to hear that our Lord's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's not the first time in the Bible that we see this connection this very clear connection between palm trees and victory. Let's go way back to the time of Moses. After the people of Israel had been released from Egypt, remember way back then, Egypt and its pharaohs and pharaoh's armies, they were the big strong ones. They were the big nuclear submarines of, their, of those days. They were the most powerful ones in the whole world. And then after Moses led the people through the Red Sea and they're looking for water there in the desert, they come to a place where there was water, but that water was bitter and they couldn't drink it. And the place is called Mara, right? And then God sends them to another place called Elim where they set up camp. And it says there in Exodus 15 that at this place called Elim, there were, and listen closely now, 12 wells of water, and 70 palm trees. The church fathers, they tell us that those 12 wells represent the apostles, the 12 apostles. And the 70 palm trees, they represent the 70 disciples that were sent out two by two by our Lord that we read about in the Gospel of Lake St. Luke, chapter 10. So here, the image is the people of God are being taught something absolutely beautiful. They've left Egypt. They've escaped the strong and powerful Pharaoh and his army who were crushed like an eggshell. Their victory is in God who will give them both water from those 12 wells, the thing that will keep them alive physically, right? We need water to live. So he gives them what they need to live physically and he also gives them what they need to live spiritually. He gives them the way that they need to live their life with those 70 Palm trees, straight and tall, reaching to heaven, right? And this straight and heaven-reaching way of life is what will lead them to fulfill and restore their, de- their identity as God's promised people, and will finally lead them to the promised land. Isn't that a beautiful image? You know, that was in Exodus, right? The second book of the Bible, where we see this, this palm tree and this beautiful image and then the palm tree shows up again just a couple of books later in Deuteronomy chapter 4 it's the very last chapter in the in the uh, of the five books of Moses right which are the five books of the the first five books of the bible here in Deuteronomy the, the people finally have reached the promised land and Moses is shown the promised land and he's there looking over Jericho and Joshua is with him and Joshua is getting ready to go into battle right? Getting ready to go into battle with who? With the much more powerful army of the Canaanites. Israel, God's people, was much weaker than Canaan in terms of their armies. They were like the little fish against a great nuclear submarine. And Joshua is looking over Jericho and Jericho is called there in Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's called the city of palm trees the city of palm trees. So here again, we have this beautiful symbolism of the palm. Joshua is being taught a beautiful lesson that victory victory, is not going to come from his own strength or from the strength of the people. It would come from God, who would be with him and with, with his people. And we all know the story of how Joshua, following God's instructions, led the people and the priests with their trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant around the city walls for seven days until the great walls of the city, that powerful city, fell and were crushed like an eggshell, right? And you know that exact same promise that God made to Moses and to Joshua, and to all of his people back then, he makes to every single one of us now. Because you know, nowadays, let's be honest, Christianity may look very, very weak in the world. Our Christian brothers and sisters are being killed and martyred constantly in Egypt and all over the place by what looks like, from the outside, an all-powerful threat you know, of terrorists that just can't seem to be stopped all over the world. It even happens here in the United States. If you remember, it was actually two years ago, today, this day, in 2017, Palm Sunday in Egypt, that we here, we woke up to news of yet another vicious attack on us Christians even while they were praying in church, no less, right? And about 50 of our Coptic brothers and sisters were were martyred there in that church that day, and over 120 others were badly hurt. And then again this year. This morning, we woke up to more news, right? Over 200 people killed in these coordinated attacks on churches during their Easter services, right? In Sri Lanka this morning. You know, I I actually, I looked it up. So far this year, just this year, since January, we're, we're at the end of April, right? Just since January, there have been over 700 separate terrorist attacks all over the world on nearly every single continent. Not only are we being martyred, but our Christian way of life looks just very weak and irrelevant in today's world. The Christian way of life is attacked, attacked in every single media outlet, every single fashion trend, every show and every movie, every advertisement, every storefront, on the billboards, in every screen, in our schools, our celebrities, our athletes, our professors, our bosses, the companies we work for, the shops we sh- we, the stores we shop at, even many of our country's leaders and officials, all attacking the Christian way of life and for us standing for for virtues like purity, humility, decency, morality, chastity, holiness, charity, meekness, asceticism, sobriety, these are all looked at as signs of weakness (coughs) like that weak little fish but for us Christians Just like that little fish, there is an inner strength in every single one of us here. That same victory that was given to Moses and Joshua and God's people way back then, each time as we saw heralded and ushered by the palm and the victory of our Lord in Jerusalem earlier today ushered in with palms and shouts of joy, which a week from today will lead to our Lord's ultimate victory over death, right? Which is Satan's greatest power over us, crushed like an eggshell. These same victories through our Lord's power and grace can be ours too. They can absolutely be ours too. And this is what's offered to us this week, this Holy Week. And that's why we raise those, those palms at the beginning of this week. But you know, we can only, we can only participate with our Lord in his great victory next Sunday only if we do what's necessary to kind of activate that inner strength that is in each and every single one of us. And the way we activate it, the way we engage it, is if we let our Lord victoriously enter the Jerusalem of our hearts, right? The Jerusalem of each of our hearts. He has to enter the way he entered Jerusalem this morning as a king, not just as a savior, right? Everyone wants Christ to be their savior because a savior is someone who does something for me. A savior is someone who saves me, but he can't just be our savior. He has to be also, and he has to enter, not just as a savior, but also as a lord and as a king. Because a lord and a king is one who I do something for. A lord and a king is one who directs me, who commands me, and I follow. And he must rule over our hearts as king throughout this week and then thereafter throughout our lives. And that's what this week is all about. It's about giving him Complete kingship, complete kingship (coughs) over our hearts. And you know that's exactly what David the prophet says about the palm tree in Psalm 92. David the prophet, he says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. They are planted in the house of God and they flourish in the courts of the Lord. Remember that line, the courts of the Lord. I'm going to get back to it in a second. But he says, they will bring forth fruit to show that the Lord is upright and he is their rock. What is David saying here? He's saying that the person who believes in God, he's like the palm, right? But we know, even though we very often don't act like we know (coughs) this, but we do know this, that believing, a belief that isn't lived, a belief that isn't fully acted upon, really isn't belief, is it? St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just and pure and lovely, he doesn't say just believe these things. What does he say? He says do these things and think on these things. We have to live according to what we believe. In the Desert Fathers, we find these, these absolutely beautiful meditations and teachings on the palm and that really shouldn't come as a surprise because you know who would know the palm better than those monks and hermits who lived their entire life right in holy asceticism there in the Egyptian desert surrounded by palm trees they say this when they when they meditate on uh, on psalm 92 they say these words of david in psalm 92 they make us know that our soul each and every one of us our soul can reach great heights i mean How tall does an average palm palm tree grow? 40, 50 feet tall, right? They say that the more we become straight in our life, the more we become straight in our life. Come on. So many of our ways just aren't straight, are they? But they say the more we become straight in our life, just like the palm tree, the more we grow tall like the palm tree. And our relationship with God grows tall the same way. And they say something else. They say that the sweetness, the fruit of the palm tree, what is that? The dates, right? The sweet dates. What are those? Those are our good works, where we go out into the world and we glorify God. And these are the sweet fruits we bear when our straight Christian day-to-day life is completely different than this world around us. That just by living as Christians, not giving into the, the norms of this world, things that the world calls normal. Even though it might look like weakness, even though we might look like those scrawny little fish, we aren't the ones that will get crushed like an eggshell. right? And the t- Desert Fathers, they tell us that there's another beautiful thing about the palm tree that a lot of people don't know about. Because hardly anyone sees this part of the palm tree. It's hidden deep inside the tree. Does anyone know what's at the core or at the center of a palm tree? It's a single white heart. Does anyone here eat something called hearts of palm? Right? It's called that because that's what that is. It's the heart of the palm. And the Desert Fathers, they say that the same pure white heart has to be found in the person who lives in a right relationship with God and with the people around them as well because our heart has to be simple and pure. It has to be used to looking up towards God alone like the palm as the source of our strength because no matter what may be around us, no matter what pressures are pressing in on us, Christians in the world, we can't be hollow like that submarine that looked strong it was hollow on the inside, right? How does that hollowness happen? That hollowness happens when we depend on worldly things that we think will make us strong, but ultimately will only crush us like an eggshell. We shouldn't give in to the pressures of our society, right? But we're going to have to develop that pure heart and work on it, right? Isn't that what our Lord said on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, right? When we left the church this morning holding those palms, our souls should have been soaring, standing very tall, and they should remain that way throughout this week because this God, who we're, who we're gonna be journeying with intimately throughout this week, this is what he comes to do for us, to give us this pure heart, to make us straight and tall, to lift us up while the world is trying to crush us down to give us that inner strength to endure, right? St. Basil, whose liturgy, whose liturgy we pray most Sundays, he said this. He said, you know, when David was talking about, remember that line that I said, the courts of the Lord, when he was talking about the palm tree? St. Basil says, the courts of the Lord, what are those? He said, those are our church, where each one of us was planted when we were baptized. The courts of the Lord are the, is the heavenly way of life, Therefore, they who are planted in the house of God, he says, will flourish to the extent or to the degree that they live in Christ, to the degree that they develop and they work, they cultivate that inner life, day in and day out, right? And then St. Basil goes on, right after he says this, he says something else very, very important. I want you to listen to this. He says, anyone, anyone who makes his belly A God. And by the way, whenever the church fathers talk about the belly, they're not just talking about food. They're talking about all of our desires. The things that we hunger for, the things that seem to taste and feel good, right? The things we feed on to fill ourselves, to make ourselves feel full. All the vain entertainments and the worldly success and the pride and the money and the glory, the things we do to draw attention to ourselves, right? And so forth. He says, anyone who puts any other desire before God, anyone who makes his belly a God doesn't really worship the Lord. And then he says something that should really hit all of us here tonight very, very hard. He says anyone who makes his belly a God doesn't really worship the Lord even though they may seem to be worthy of the visible assemblies. Let me say that one more time. Anyone who makes his belly a god doesn't really worship the Lord even though they may seem to be worthy of what? Of visible assemblies. What does that mean? What are those visible assemblies? What does that mean that they might seem worthy of the visible assemblies? What he's saying is even though they might come to church, right? That's what those visible assemblies are. If their life isn't straight, just doesn't work. They'll never, they'll never realize that inner strength until, until they purify their desires. It's a very heavy message for us because he's talking about those that look like they are worthy of the visible assemblies, the ones that look like they come to church, right? But that's the gospel, right? The kingdom is within each and every one of us, but we have to do something and keep doing something always and everywhere to realize it. The saints say that the victory in the Christian life begins and ends right in the heart. And in the middle of the world, we might feel weak. We might feel weak with our Christian virtues. Because every day for us is kind of like that test mission, that one that they sent that sub out on, where they're facing, we're out there facing all of these pressures, intense pressures from daily life. But Christ is waiting for us to enthrone him in our life. Our Lord came to us today in humility, like that little fish deep in the ocean of our life. And he says, I'm coming to give you the ability to survive any pressure that you may face. The very, very last time that the palm tree is mentioned in the Bible is in the last book, is in the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there in the book of Revelation, St. John sees the people of God standing victorious before his <coughs> throne in heaven, and he says this. <coughs> he says, there I saw multitudes clothed with white robes, with what in their hands? Palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. So here, even in the book of Revelation, this image that Saint Saint John has of heaven, he says, here they are holding the palm branches, crying out, salvation belongs to our God. What they're saying is, all my strength, all my strength came from you, my God, not from the world, right? In the Orthodox study Bible, it says that the white robes and the palm branches here in Revelation symbolize two things, purity and victory. Right? We've already said the palm branch symbolizes victory. The white robe symbolizes purity. So that's our message today, and that's the message of Holy Week. If we want to become victorious in the Christian life, if we want to have that secret inner strength and that white heart, we have to join the road to purity, the road of purity. Right. We can't go the way of our politically correct generation. We can't be passive. We can't be pacifists when it comes to our spiritual war, our spiritual warfare. We can't go the way of our tolerant and permissive society, right? You know, if the apostles had bought into the norms and the pressures of the society around them, not a single one of us would be here today. So throughout these days of Holy Week, each and every single one of us will have this opportunity to become pure, to walk with Christ as his people day by day by day, step by step, witnessing his victory over sin and over death. So remember, remember that when you look at those palms that you took home with you today, whenever you feel almost crushed, by the weight and the pressures of this life, whenever you feel overwhelmed by temptations, remember that tiny, scrawny little fish a mile and a half deep down in the ocean with all that pressure around it. Remember that little fish. Maybe that's why Jesus, when he was calling his disciples, he told them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. Maybe that's why he said, I'll make you what? I'll make you fishers of men, because we're all like that fish, right? Finally, in the book of Revelation, when St. John mentioned those people in the white robe holding the palm branches before God's throne, he goes on to say this. He says, then one of the elders, after I saw this image, one of the elders said to me, he said, who are these people who are dressed in white robes holding the palm branches? And where did they come from? And so I answered him and said, Sir, you know them. So he said to me, Now keep these very next words of St. John in mind as, you've, and as you journey throughout the rest of Holy Week. He said to me, Yes, I do know them. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, the great pressure, the great temptation, the great trial, and washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are now before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, in his church. What do we do day and night throughout Holy Week? And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun it won't strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, he's going to shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the description in in, in the book of Revelation of the ones holding the branches, of what's awaiting all of us who held branches today, right? This is the victory that Christ offers us this holy week, this holy week of Pascha. To him be the glory now and forever, and unto the ages of all ages. Amen.